This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Good morning and welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein, Vice Dean for Social Impact at Wharton. And I'm Nick Ashburn, the Senior Director of Impact Investing at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Pretty cool. And it is a beautiful morning, as we are saying, in it cold, but a beautiful morning. Yeah. So uh, we're wondering where spring is, but you know. It's, I think it's, it's coming this weekend. Okay, good. It's supposed to be like 70 degrees here on Saturday. That sounds lovely. That sounds spring-like. That sounds spring-like. That sounds spring-like. We will see just how adaptive we all are and the flowers are and all is good. All is good. So things are hopping and popping and social impact at Wharton and around the world happily, we think, because, you know, we love talking about and seeing what businesses are doing to create a positive social impact around the world. And uh, and that's that's what we'll be talking about in two weeks at our upcoming Wharton Social Impact Conference. So you know this is a uh, an a early shout out to register if you haven't registered. We'd love to see some of our our serious dollars and change listeners in in person. And we'll Wharton. be even we won't be doing it live, but we will be having a presence with our show there at at the right, conference. Right? Yeah, we'll be pre recording a show for uh, for dollars and change. So we'll get out of this this kind of cool studio on the Wharton campus, but we'll be at our conference interviewing guests. So, Nick, uh, I know we have a big focus on impact investing. We on, do. On, again, Friday, April 7th, at, at, uh, right next to the Wharton campus at the Inn at Penn. Who are you excited about about hearing? Gosh, you know, so we're going to be speaking with, as you mentioned, impact investing, but I think broadly how capital is used for social impact. Yep. And um, impact investing will play a strong role in that. I'm really excited about our mainstreaming impact investing panel that will combine you know, views from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, you know, a very, very large wealth manager, and um, and also our faculty as yeah. well. So, you know, Chris Gatesy, who does a lot of research and, and knows them well. Um, and then I'm really also excited for our place-based impact mm-hmm. panel because it's a really diverse group of folks. So you've got Simone Brody, who is with Bloomberg's what, Bloomberg Philanthropies, What Works Cities. Great. All of, I think we've had her on our show, mm. how, you know, they're using data to, you know, enhance decision making as we always hope people do. Right. But, you know, like ambulances and, and response time, like how can a city actually compare themselves to other similarly sized cities and say, well, how can, why, why are they better than us? Yeah. Yeah. And how are you using data in your decision making? We'll have someone from MacArthur, the MacArthur Foundation um, talking about Benefit Chicago, their $100 million effort in, in, in catalyzing change in, in the Chicago area and what lessons could we bring to Philadelphia or your own communities Great. Great. And, and Comcast. Yeah. People may not think social impact in Comcast. Right. Comcast I'm, based in Philadelphia. Based in Philadelphia. And um, Delilah Scott Wilson will be representing Comcast. I think she's a, a high level executive that focuses on their community investment. Right. And I think that is how they're investing in their communities, but also broadly their, their community based yeah. activities. So yeah. really excited about that that panel specifically. That is great. That is great. Uh, you know, and we know, you know, we know that all around the world and certainly in the United States too, cities are growing. Uh, people are, are flocking to cities, and that creates such opportunities and challenges. And, of course, when we think, you know, again, we think place-based, I mean, it'll be interesting. I wonder if we can also have a conversation not only about cities, which you mentioned some of those, but what about rural areas? Absolutely. What does this mean? Well, you know, I talk for, all the time on this show that I'm from Kansas, and I'm from, from a more rural, rural area. So it, it is. And, and when, actually, we were thinking about that session description, um, place-based impact. And we did sort of 
angle it on cities. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, place-based impact, and there are a lot of people really interested in investing in, you know, community health care, um, you know, rural health care. Like, you might have to travel yeah. 90 minutes and two hours to get to high quality health care. But why can't we be investing in, in more local you know, facilities right. and, and staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, so many interesting things. I don't know. We, we may have to have a show focused on health care. We were hearing about interesting work being done in, uh, at Penn on community health care workers and, and exploring ways to, to scale this. And, you know, obviously these, these strategies take capital. They do. They take capital. And that's, you know, that is so often where the investors and the business community comes in. And um, and we talk about that a lot <laughs> to figure out how do you do that and how do you do that better. So very exciting. Well, I'm excited for our lineup today. We have a, a great show. Big shout out to our producer, Matt Johnson, for making this all happen for us. Um, we're going to be talking with Yancey Strickler, CEO and co-founder of Kickstarter, uh, the crowdfunding site Kickstarter that, uh, you know, some of us may know. I don't, you know, I think I've... I've um, been a funder through Kickstarter, through a few campaigns, and uh, it's a fascinating model. And they've recently uh, made the decision to incorporate as a uh, benefit corporation. So we'll be talking about what that what that means and how you incorporate purpose into the, the business strategy. So excited to talk with Yancey in just a moment. Uh, in the second segment of the show, uh, coming up in about a half an hour, we'll be talking with Katerina Schwab and Lindsay Beck, co-CEOs of an organization based out in California. They're getting up early for us called NPX. Uh, Not sure that it's an acronym. It's just called NPX. I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, but I think NP is, you know, NP is for nonprofit. Nonprofit. And I think X may be for, you know, accelerating X times, taking it to the next level. And they're looking at how do you, you know, how do you finance impact? Lindsay Beck is one of our own Wharton alums and has, you know, and has had this passion about there's got to be a better way to fundraise. There's got to be a better way to fuel, uh, you know, the the growth and scaling of nonprofits that are doing really important work. So they've been working on this um, uh, the security, a real bond, not a social impact bond, which is actually not a, a real bond. Uh, so it'll be exciting to hear from from uh, from Lindsay yeah, and, and Katarina. And that that team has a diverse group of experiences. So Lindsay has tremendous experience as a as the founder of a successful nonprofit that was acquired by the Live Strong Foundation. I'm sure we'll get into that. But then Katarina also has both for profit and nonprofit experience. And I think they were to your point. They were really frustrated with just how things were working, and that's that was their pain point. Yeah, yeah. So fascinating. And then in the uh, in the next hour, we'll be talking with Ellen Lagaman, former dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Well, she is the author of a book called Liberating Minds, The Case for College in Prison. Um, so she's a distinguished fellow in the Bard Prison Initiative right now. She'll be talking about college programs in prison. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. I, you know, um, I think you know, Nick, I'm starting I, I, in my social impact classes where I teach here at, at Wharton, we take a deep dive focus on a particular social issue. We'll bring in experts to talk about that social issue and understand what do we know about the research in that area? And then what are for-profit and non-profit organizations doing in this space to, to move the needle. And we're about to tackle recidivism. So you haven't quite gotten there in the syllabus We yet. haven't quite gotten there in the syllabus. It's coming up. But I have to say, you know, I, I assign, I, I, you know, I'm smart. I have the students do. <laughs> I think you are smart. <laughs> Occasionally I'm tactical. Uh, I have the students do papers where they, where they incorporate research. So they review the research on these topics uh, and they pick articles of their own choice. And there are, you know, lots of articles on education and prison 
huge benefits for reducing recidivism. Recidivism is so expensive. So um, really interesting stuff. And then uh, last and definitely not least, we'll be talking with Ali Svensson, co-founder and VP of brand for Mod Pizza. Um, you know, if it doesn't make you hungry and inspired, I don't know what will. <laughs> I know. We have a lot of food folks on this show every once in a while. And I'm, I'm always like, I, I need some samples. So I know, you know, like what, what's Mod Pizza all about? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let us jump right into this. This is uh, always exciting. I, I guess we'll, we'll tease because uh, make sure that folks know. But a little shout out. You're welcome to join us. Uh, call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you want to join the conversation, so let's get started. Uh, we're talking with Yancy Strickler, CEO and co-founder of Kickstarter. Yancy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Great to have you with us. So. Uh, uh, Kickstarter is this uh, kind of extraordinary crowdfunding site, raised nearly $3 billion for creative projects. Uh, I, I know I, I know I've been one of those people who has helped raise. <laughs> great, great, glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us uh, how you got started with this Kickstarter idea, you, you know, founded uh, not so many years ago in, uh, in 2009 and has grown to a very successful platform for people to, you know, like to essentially donate uh, to to fund creative projects. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those uh, overnight success stories that's fifteen plus years in the making. Uh, my my co-founder uh, Perry Chen uh, was the first first was the person who first had the idea for Kickstarter, and this is in two thousand one. He was living in New Orleans. And had this idea to throw a concert during Jazz Fest and uh, reached out to these DJs he wanted to have come play. And it was going to cost $20,000 to bring it all together. And it didn't make sense to him. Uh, he didn't have that kind of money. But he had this thought of, what if I could propose the idea for the concert online? People could put up their credit cards, but no one gets charged unless the show sells out. And that way, that decision didn't rest just on his shoulders, but it could be shared by everybody. And this is the modern invention of crowdfunding. Um, and, uh, and so Perry had that idea and, and ultimately wasn't able to make that happen. And, and 2001 was a different time in the Internet. You know, this was the pets.com era, uh, you know, the first crash. Um, and so it took quite a while for us to get the site going. But we met about four years after that. Um, I was a rock critic before starting Kickstarter. Perry was working as an artist. Our uh, founder, Charles, was a designer. So we were... All creative people had no business experience, not technical. Really, all the all the worst traits you could imagine for starting. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting my investor company. hat on and being like, oh, I'm not sure about that group. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, people people were confused, um, but you know, we we're all creative people who've really experienced the problem of uh, of getting funds together. And, and the world before Kickstarter is one where the only upfront money you could get for an idea was a advance from a label or a studio or you or you apply for a grant there was no notion whatsoever of the audience being able to participate in your creative process being able to be a part of it at an early stage so that was you know something that we we really brought into the modern era i mean we trace our history uh back to the renaissance back to patronage uh -huh. the first kickstarter project we've come across was in 1713 when Alexander Pope translated the Iliad from Greek to English for the first time. 
To do that, he got support from 700 subscribers who financially sustained him for four years so he mm. could translate that. That's an amazing an example. Got a, yeah, in exchange, they got a copy of the book with their name in the front cover with a thank you. So you, you, a, you stole the idea story. from... Uh, we stole the idea. Take that, Alexander Pope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's... So, you know, the you know, patronage has been a model that's worked for centuries, and it's been a dominant form of cultural production, and we brought it to the web. And, and so what crowdfunding has become, people raising it for charities and you know, all those sorts of things, uh, all that really, really began uh, with you know, Kickstarter bringing that into the mainstream. Uh, but our focus was always very specifically just on creative projects and creative people, and we were motivated by the thought that the, the traditional funding models are all based on investment, the idea that I'm giving you money so I can make money. But we think that's a poor match with creativity. And so we like the idea of creating an economy where things happen just because people want them to and not because they're looking out for their own financial self-interest. And we have done that. You know, you, you say almost $3 billion changing hands. That is with no financial upside. Yeah, that is just supporting someone or something that you think is cool. So, so explain. And, ex- yeah, yeah. Can you give us in our listeners an example? I know I and I, you know, invested, which really is donating, um, mm-hmm. for a uh, the making of a movie. This was, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the a friend of of one of my daughters, a, an early stage documentarian who's you know gone on and he's done. He he got the funding for his movie mm-hmm. and you know is doing great work as a documentarian. And I think we got maybe a thank you or. Maybe a copy. An advanced copy, maybe. Maybe an advanced copy. And, you know, we were delighted to give and delighted to have this platform. Um, Is that kind of a typical? I don't remember what he was raising. I'm going to say maybe five or ten thousand dollars. Is that is that pretty typical? Yeah. The most the most common amount someone raises is about 20 grand. Um, And that's risen over time. You know, this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But, yeah, it is artists and creative people from around the world saying, here's an idea of something I'm doing. You know, if you are willing to, to put up $25 or, or, or whatever you can that will go into this budget and will allow this idea to exist. And when it exists, everyone who helps make it happen will get to have it and experience it. And it's, a, it's just a very, a very basic value exchange. And, and you, you know, you could think of it uh, kind of like pre-ordering or, you know, you're, you're buying that movie ticket, just the movie hasn't been made yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you get what you get through that is, is not just that movie, but also uh, on most projects, creators bring their audience, their backers into the experience. You get, you know, you get an email from the set saying, here's what happened today. You, you also get the behind-the-scenes content before it even starts. Right. Uh, and we've even added features like live streaming. And so there are town halls that happen between an artist and meeting other fans, and, and people get quite excited about that. Um, but it, it's just simply a model where... Uh, the creators, the artists, have 100% control over their work, both creative and intellectual control, uh, where they don't give up any ownership in exchange for the funding. So, uh, you know, the, you don't have to give up your right to own your work just for the privilege of its existence. Right. Um, and, and it's a place where yeah, people just come together around new ideas. I mean, it, when we were first starting it, you know, the... The, the investor hat you wore earlier that said, why would these three creative, uh, artistic, non-business people start a company? You know, those, those same people would say, why the hell would anyone just support somebody without any financial upside? Like, it, it makes no sense. 
Well, no, uh, that, actually, I wanted to I wanted to ask a question directly to that. Actually, I'm going to put Catherine a little bit on the spot and then go to you, Yancey. Um, mm-hmm. On from the psychological side, is there anything, Catherine, that seems unique in this that you we would pay for something in advance without quite knowing the outcome or? Uh, especially in the donation model, I don't know because Catherine's an organizational psychologist, but curious if she's if she knows anything about this. And then Yancey seeing like what what was that proof of concept for you guys that this worked? Well, I think it is very you know it is it's a really interesting question, Nick. And I you know I know my colleague Ethan Mollick, a, a faculty member at, uh, at Wharton, has done research on Kickstarter, but from a different angle, less of a psychological angle of who's you know who's investing. Though he's, he get, does get into some of that. Um, you know what? Thing, what strikes me as particularly interesting from this is people do want to, you know, may have a contribute to make a positive social uh, contribution. They like being part of something. I think there's some. So I think that's motivating for people. I think there's another piece here that the crowd is very comforting. Like you, Nick, come to me and ask me, you know, invest in my singing career. Uh, I'm making an album. He's not, but he could. Um, <laughs> um, uh, or maybe he is. I'm, I'm waiting for know. Dion to greenlight that for me. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you come to me and say, hey, Catherine, invest in my album. It's like, eh, I don't know, Nick, you know. But um, with with Kickstarter, at least there are a couple benefits. Like um, I'm going to get a part. You might give me that on your own. But it's only going to get funded if we all get on. You know, if you have to – you set the maximum amount. We're only giving if enough other people have said, yep, we're all on board and we're all going to contribute the $10,000 or the $15,000 or whatever. So there's there's some comfort in like this is a kind of risky thing to do for me to put money forward, but I want to contribute. Oh, I got lots of other people who are doing this. I got choice. I think there are elements so it's in really, here that it are – it really is sort of the – it's not the Medici – Michelangelo patronage, but it is the Alexander Pope getting yeah. more people yeah. to, to get. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know we want to get to this, to talk about this public benefit corporation, but we also want to let Yancey, I don't know if there's anything you want to respond on this, because it is, you know, it is yeah, this. Yeah, I, 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 we love this part of it. I mean, we, you know, we read, we read so many social psychology books and, and picky about how this model would work. And, you know, there, there are so many fun things at play. Um, you know, what, what I think is interesting is that you know, as uh, as everyone on the internet talks about, you know, we're, we're entering a world where content and you know, please, Lord, forgive me for saying that word, but uh, <laughs> but content has become kind of worthless, you know, online just because it's it's infinite. And so there's a certain angle where I can see, well, what becomes the most valuable content are things that don't exist yet, uh, because it is the it is one of the rare things that is not filled with the abundance of the internet. So this notion that everyone has to come together for this to happen uh, becomes really powerful because, you know, it, it, it could be, yes, that person wants it for themselves, but it could also be a thought, and we've seen this, of, you know, I want to ransom this so that everyone can have it. Mm, um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make this thing available. So I think that there's a, there's a, a, a lot of interesting things that come into play. And, um, but for most projects, you know, it's, 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 it's super fans. You know, the show of Veronica Mars got... Uh, brought back to a movie through Kickstarter, and that was, you know, a hundred thousand people who that was their favorite thing, and the opportunity to give that to give that filmmaker to give Kristen Bell money to feel more connected to it, like that is a dream. You know, that is literally like a please take my money; it would make me feel better. <laughs> That's sort of thing. right, and yeah, and that is and that is the case on most projects, just at varying scale. Yeah. So, so uh, we're talking with Yancey Strickler, CEO and co-founder of Kickstarter. Um, Yancey, we want to turn the the conversation to um, your decision or the company's decision 
to incorporate as a public benefit corporation. So this is a, mm-hmm. a legal standing that says, you know, we are legally incorporated uh, in such a way that we are placing our, you know, we are including not only uh, shareholder value, profit maximization, but we have a social values and a social purpose that is uh, incorporated into our business plan and is a, you know, a legal priority of the, of the company. Um, well, and and this was reincorporating. Yeah, it already existed, and you guys decided to reincorporate as this, right? Which I think is yeah. probably relatively unusual. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, we became born again as a PDC. That's right, <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was, um, you know, the we've always operated in the same way as a company. I mean, we've we've never been profit maximizing. We, we've never we've never thought about what we're doing that way. Um, the three founders, when we started the company, we agreed from the very beginning that uh, we never wanted to sell it or cash out. Like, it, and this is before you know there's even a, a whiff of success, you know. But just um, that is not what we wanted to be in this for. We already felt conflicted about being creative people starting a business. Mm-hmm. Like that, that mm-hmm. felt shameful to us. It's honestly, it still does to me a little bit. Uh, but, you know, we said we're never going to sell out with this. You know, we, we should treat this as a public trust. We should approach it from the thought of society is, is enriched if there is a space reserved for new ideas that is free from, you know, being overly commoditized and it's just accessible to whoever who needs it. And so every way in which we operate as a company should be should reinforce that because that is the, you know, is the ultimate goodness of this. Um, and so we'd operated that way. And. Uh, but, you know, we, we were aware if, if we would speak publicly about this, our, our lawyer at the time would remind us, like, hey, you technically you could be sued for saying these things. You know, it's, it's unclear, like, you know, what is the true legal standing of, you know, the maximized share how, shareholder value? It's ambiguous, but, like, it could be dicey if you talk about these things. And, um, and there's a – we have one uh, venture capital investor, uh, Union Square Ventures is their name. They're here in New York City. And, um, and they agreed to our, hey, we never want to sell or go public thing because uh, they liked us and, and connected with the idea. Um, but one of their partners had explained to us what a public benefit corporation was and said, hey, with the values you guys have, this is a way to maybe like really do that. And he was telling us about this as, as the law was happening. So we, we followed closely and – and got really inspired by um, the idea that these values that we hold and this this way of thinking about the business and our place in the world and the way we embrace being a part of larger a larger society that that's something that we could put into the legal founding of the company and we were also excited that doing that would be somewhat painful uh, you know our shareholders would have to vote ninety percent of shareholders would have to agree and approve this. Uh, we'd have to write a charter, and that charter would bind us to certain things. And all of those steps said to us, this this makes us more real, more credible, uh, and this can also bind the company for as long as it exists according to a certain set of values. So in, in our charter, we, we declare a, a commitment to arts and culture, a commitment to, to supporting and working with artists uh, who don't use our service but just fighting for the, the, the rights of artists more generally, uh, that we would operate with a corporate code of conduct that includes a pledge that we will never use esoteric but legal tax avoidance strategies uh, to lower our tax burden, 
Uh, it includes it. Ah, that makes sense because when I was when I was reading up on you guys, you you say we paid I think a twenty five percent effective tax rate, which I was like, yeah, okay, great, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, I know it's like it was a hard one to write because we're like it could have been a lot lower if we were shady, but we weren't. But it's hard, hard, hard to write that very clearly. But yes, we we pledged we pledged tax rates, we pledged to report, you know, compensation. Yeah. It, so I know, right and I yeah. uh, so I wanted to ask you about to talk about some of the proof points um, mm-hmm. because you know one could certainly. Uh, you know, I think as more and more businesses get into the business of social impact and realize, well, you know, this may make us look good in the eyes of our customers or investors, we're going to have, you know, I just, I, I anticipate the day where it's going to be pretty important to really look closely, to look underneath the hood and say, is this company for real or not? Um, so what are your proof points? I, you know, I, I did. Uh, One, as a private company, I mean, maybe as a public benefit corp, you're reporting on these things, but most private companies don't have to disclose. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah so, yeah, we, we pledge to do a public reporting every year, uh, which we're not required. You're not required to do any direct public reporting the way that we are. But, yeah, I mean, our, our, our uh, honestly, our proof points are you know, we have not tried to maximize this business. I mean, we, we aren't squeezing every dollar out of it. We don't sell advertising on it. We uh, also are, are using our money to pursue, you know, the the. The, we operate in the black, we're a sustainable business, and we are using those funds to pursue our mission in a way that is not to our financial benefit. So, for instance, last year, we started a new project called the Creative Independent, which is uh, an editorial platform that is totally separate from Kickstarter and lists no connection with Kickstarter whatsoever. And that is providing a daily essay uh, or interview with an artist about their creative practice. And uh, and there we're just trying to dip, disseminate knowledge and, and do something that we think is quite powerful. Um, you know, we donate five percent of our after-tax profits each year to organizations fighting inequality uh, and to arts education. Um, we list what the staff does in terms of volunteering in ways that we're trying to bind the staff towards having uh, a positive impact on those around us. But probably the most meaningful things in our space uh, would be the, the corporate code of conduct uh, that we pledge in our terms of use that we will never claim any legal rights that we do not need. And so we call out specifically that. Even as companies uh, across the board are putting in class action waivers and binding their users to arbitration, removing their legal rights, we explicitly chose not to do such things. Uh, we've been a key driver behind the amicus briefs behind the travel bans, and we were, we have been on other issues in previous years. Uh, and, and that is something that you Ireland to dodge taxes. Well, you know, and and the uh, public policy thing that that's actually part, something you you state that you do want to engage in, correct? Yeah, that was a that was a pledge that we would that we made that we would uh, we would lobby for policies that we would never lobby for a policy that was in our financial self interest, but that we would lobby for policies that benefits the creative community that we serve, mm. uh, and that we would be very open and transparent about those. Yeah. So, so we have a our, our general counsel is extremely active in doing those things, and uh, it's a lot of a lot of effort goes into that. And and uh, and what about your compensation? Because obviously we've seen. Uh, you know, huge increases in executive compensation over the the past mm-hmm. several decades, and you know, leading to greater and greater salary dispersion in companies. What's your policy around that? Yeah, well, we uh, right now are exec- we compare executive salary to non-executive salary, and there it's, it's I believe two and a quarter times. So the 
the median executive salary is two and a half times the median non-executive salary. Uh, my own salary is, is the same, is roughly in line with that. Um, including stock options, I think I'm 5x what an average employee is. Part of that is that I'm a founder, so I still have founder vesting stock. But, um, yeah, I mean, certainly if you look at uh, any, quote, industry standards, which is, you know, that's how we always get into danger because industry standards are generally terrible. Um, but, you know, there you're seeing, you know, numbers that are in the hundreds often yeah. for what CEOs, com- you know, compare. We had had a goal of, okay, it should be less than 10 times. But honestly, even if I think 10 times, that seems kind of crazy to me and not right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's double what an average employee is, which is within the bounds of what happens in the world. It still feels weird to me, honestly, if I think about the people who I work with. Yeah. Uh, but you try to think about these things also that if I didn't have this job and we had to go out and hire a CEO, what would we have to pay them? And then actually we probably are getting to like the 10 to 15 X kind of thing. Right. So, uh, so you know, yeah. How what that market is. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'll go out on a limb here. If it's a limb and say personally this, you know, I really admire this. Um, and, you know, I think there's a, a, an awful lot of good to this for all sorts of reasons. Um, you know, I think one of the – wherever one look, thinks about pay dispersion, one thought would be, well, that sounds great, Kickstarter, but how are you going to hire executives? Are you – you know, is this – does this – this may make you very successful in hiring at lower levels of the company. Can you hire at, at senior levels of the company when you have, you know, essentially a, a pay cap? Um, right. So what's your, what's, what's your experience? What's your answer? Yeah, well, you know, we – yeah, it's it's absolutely the, the the right kind of question, very sensible question, and uh, yeah, it just ends up being a great filter. You know, mm-hmm. it's being a great filter for why someone wants to be a part of your organization. Yeah, you know, we just hired last week. We had a new VP of product start, a woman named Deepa, and she was the director of product for the Hillary campaign. And you know, a lot of people wanted to hire Deepa. She's an extremely talented person, but you know, she she connected so much with us as a PBC and with the kind of fight that we have and the kind of energy that we have. And, you know, she couldn't see staying in politics, but she also knew that she couldn't just totally step out of the game of having the sort of impact that was important to her. So that made us uh, an obvious choice for her. Right. I mean, the, the, the level of talent that we have in the company is, is very high, but certainly it does remove a certain part of the talent pool. But honestly, those are people that probably wouldn't have been a great fit with our culture to begin with, even though we probably would have loved to have, you know, their engineering skills. Right. Um, but we think that those trades are OK, because ultimately it allows us to preserve a certain ideal and a certain way of working that, you know, has been key to who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, where, where I really agree with you uh, is, you know, is having a cynical, you know, somewhat cynical view on these things. How? How sincere is the motivation? And um, we like to refer to that as an, you know, a sort of optimist. We, we like to refer to ourselves as optimistic skeptics. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, my 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 perspective is, um, I mean, we are we we are ideal. You know, we're we're idealists. We're ideologues. We, you know, we wanted to become a public benefit corporation because we thought it's going to take well known popular consumer brands to make these sorts of changes for anyone to know that, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise it's just going to be like, uh, of course you yeah, do that, yeah, right. you know, and so, and so if we believe that the market has distorted, is distorting society with it, you know, being totally unchecked 
and that the notion of you know corporate profits and everyone acting out of 100% self-interest of this perverted uh, perverted view of Adam Smith that 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 is the dominant thing like that that has to break and one way that we can break it is by making ourselves an example that we personally enrich ourselves much less i mean this you know kickstarter is is a good paying thing and it's a will hopefully be a lifelong practice for us but it is not a lottery ticket lucrative sort of thing the way we have set it up for us as founders even as founders you're right and uh and and so it, it takes us being willing to make that sacrifice and put ourselves in a line so, and yeah. that's the sort of that's the sort of move that can bring that so over time over time i i think you're right and that companies may become public benefit corporations just for marketing reasons or they'll be social good for because it looks good in a commercial and and certainly i roll my eyes at that and think about getting to that point but also you know whether it's sincere or not if we are able to ultimately force companies to feel they have an obligation to society and their employees and their customers everyone around them i think we're better off for that however cynical the the company's yeah. reason may be yeah. for pursuing it so, so Yancy, a final question because I we, we got to wrap up our segment here, uh, and it's been great talking with you, Yancy Strickler, CEO and co-founder of Kickstarter. One thing I'm curious about is to what extent is there a community of public benefit corporations? Are you, you know, are you finding that you are connecting with other CEOs, other you know, other founders who are like-minded, um, you know, and and pushing the envelope, collaborating, exchanging best practices? Or are you, you know, kind of, I don't know, lonesome doing this thing on your own, but, you know. Lone cowboy. <laughs> Lone cowboy with, you know, with some yeah. good press. We're already, we, we are kind of naturally loners a little bit. But, uh, but no, there is a community. I mean, Patagonia was incredibly helpful uh, when we went through this process. Uh, we found their, you know, we, we find their charter to be deeply inspiring and, um, and, and we got a lot of good advice from them. Um, you know, there are the people who run the, the B labs, uh, who are, who are part of what has made this, uh, available more widely. Those have been good people to talk to. Uh, I'll, but there, there aren't a lot of us yet. I mean, there's a thousand, I think a little over a thousand public benefit corporations total in the United States, probably more than that now, but, uh, we've heard a lot from, People who are interested in becoming one, yeah, and and those are those are could be a first-time entrepreneur. Hey, I saw you guys do this thing. How do you do it? It's also people who are looking to convert, uh, it, and and people just wanting to understand how we did that. And we engage with a lot of those conversations just because we learned ourselves how how flimsy the amount of information that's out there is. Interesting. So Interesting. you know, uh, so that's something we hope to correct in the next year uh, okay. is to try to make a better universal resource that just explains kind of here's the ins and outs of this, like here's what changes, here's what doesn't change, here are good people to talk to. That's great. Catherine, that, that could be an opportunity for us to, to help out there. Yeah, no, I'm no, sitting here. That, yeah, yeah, to, to be continued because this really is very much in line with the, the Warden Social Impact Initiative as we, you know, as we think about how do we build the evidence base, how do we build the talent pool. You know, understanding these public benefit corporations is, uh, you know, is a is an opportunity for us. So to be continued, we got to bring this to a close. It's been great talking with you, Yancy Strickler, CEO and co-founder of Kickstarter. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be continuing this conversation about business and capital for good. We'll be talking with Katerina Schwab and Lindsay Beck of NPX. So stick with us. This is Dollars and Change. 
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.